This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 214, The Rescuers, Diamonds Are Medusa's Best Friend. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling. And I am Chelsea Robson. And Chelsea is in the wonderful world of New York City. So give a wave to the UN while you're at it. Say hello. Oh, I will. Wave away. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my my princess pageant wave as well. It'll be great. Oh, yes. Hello. 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 And that is very appropriate because the movie that we are going to be reviewing today is The Rescuers, which has a scene in the UN. And I have lots of thoughts on this movie and how this whole Rescue Aid Society works together. I grew up loving this movie, (laughs) but yes, there is lots that we are going to be talking about. And before we get started, I want to read a five-star review. This is the easiest, best way that you can support the show. This one is from Celebration 2007, and the title is Funny Laughing Face Emoji. Loved this one and loved how you guys talked about the Christianity in Rise of the Guardians. Mason is my favorite. So funny. Ah, thank you so, so much. And of course, you can leave us a review. It's the easiest way to support the show. We love it. We appreciate your reviews and they really go a long way, especially in these days where everyone has a podcast now. And this is an easy way that Apple can differentiate between the good, the bad, and the ugly. So if you think it's good, let us know with a five-star review and we can read yours on next week's episode. Man, bringing up Rise of the Guardians. That's an OG. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> with that, let's jump into our main event. So before we get started with our main discussion, we're going to get to you some basic general information to set the stage. The studio is Walt Disney Animation Studios. The directors were Wolfgang Reitherman, John Lounsbury, and Art Stevens. Now, John Lounsbury, he actually died about a year and a half before the release of the film. So that's why Art Stevens was brought in. And the release date was June 22nd, 1977. The budget was $7.5 million, which was considered very crazy high at the time. But never fear, it made its money back total in its box office with all the various releases that they did it made 169 million dollars in the box office and its initial release was very very successful so this was a win for walt disney animation studios and was considered uh, one of the better films of the 70s and especially one of the better animated films since jungle book and i tend to agree with that especially i feel like this is also one that has it has aged well i would say Mm mm-hmm so yeah, it feels kind of timeless. Like obviously it's a modern day story and it's it's not set like modern, modern day, but uh, overall it's really, really, really well. And I think this movie does such a great job with the characterizations. All of the characters are really well-rounded and they have good motivations as to why they're doing the things that they're doing and acting the way that they are. Uh, I love Penny. I love Madame Medusa. I love Snoops. <laughs> and of course, Bernard and Bianca are just great protagonists as well so all in all i think they did some really really good things here and i'm excited to talk about it yeah i wouldn't say that this one has a soundtrack that i go back and listen to i did watch this movie enough as a child that all of the songs are ingrained in my mind right and (laughs) 
even that first one where I don't think it's the best song in general, once again, it's ingrained in my mind. And even though I'm pretty sure I fast forwarded it most of the time, just because I didn't care about the credits, but this time going through, I was, I had, maybe I'd realized this or knew this prior, which I probably did, but I, I was reminded, uh, as though I didn't know it, <laughs> that one of the directing animators was Don Bluth. And I was like, well, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was fun. Uh, he had, you know, you had Milk Hall, you had a good portion of the, of the Nine Old Men. You had like four at least on there. And so that was cool to see. Yeah. You know, one thing that's really interesting about Don Bluth, as I was researching this film, you know, he, this was the film that really was the straw that broke the camel's back in his words for leaving Disney. So he, you know, obviously he had been working for the studio in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies was involved in a lot of things that he was a supervising animator for this, but he noticed that they weren't coloring the whites of the eyes in of the characters. And he asked about it and they said, Oh, well, it's too expensive. So, you know, to cut costs, we're going to do that. So he went and bought the equipment essentially to test this out himself and then said actually no it's not that expensive at all it's it doesn't change it and um they still said well too bad you know sit down and do what you're told and (laughs) that basically for him was like yeah you know i'm done and so went off and created his own studio and has his own legacy as a result of leaving and i think that's just you know we love don bluth over here we're big don bluth fans and i think his story is really inspiring because walt disney was the thing they were the studio they're the place that you wanted to be you know imagine having been there 20 plus years at this point you know like this is your everything like you're really all bought in like he knew walt disney personally but um, it really takes a lot of courage and guts to see something and see like, Hey, this isn't working anymore. And to go off and do your own thing and be very entrepreneurial. And because of Don Bluth, you know, animation, um, he was able to create, you know, very, very, uh, distinct and different, uh, animated films that are classics to this day. And it really pushed Disney to realize, okay, you know, we're not the only game in town, we need to step it up too. And ultimately as yeah. a result of Don and what he was able to do, we got the Disney Renaissance and, and now there's so many different studios, but you know, a lot of courage is taken, you know, to do things like that. But at the same time, like when you're in a situation like that, where you're just not being respected and your thoughts are not, and your opinions are not being received. Uh, yes, it's courageous, but at the same time, I have totally been there where you're like, yeah, I'm done. Like, no, see you later. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. For sure. You know, so going along with Don Bluth and all the people that were involved with this, for me, as I was watching those initial credits, it's just, I just love seeing names that ultimately went on to do really, really great things. You know, there's like Glenn Keane yeah. was there and, you know, John Pomeroy and Gary Goldman, you know, those were the, the, the trio of Don Bluth. And so they were involved in this and just all these other Disney animators who were really, really instrumental in the Renaissance, like Ron Clements. Yeah, we know these names. And so it's just interesting to see like, yeah. hey, this is what they were, they were wetting their chops. They were putting their hours in, getting to work. So good times. Yeah, Glenn Keane, I've heard him talk about this movie a lot, actually, because it was one of his very first where he got to work. That was helping to do the push broom scene where Bernard is is pushing it. And he's, um, I can't remember which of the nine old men that he was working with, but he was just like, well, I don't see any life in, in this. Like, why is, why is Bernard why is Bernard pushing this, this broom? Like, does he enjoy his job? Is this something that he appreciates or is this something he loathes? Like, who is he in this, Mm -hmm. in this very small task that he is, you know, pushing. And I, I really like hearing that story too. Nice. I love Glenn. I do too. We need to get him on the podcast again. I know. I know. I have the contact for his company and his, um, or his agent. So I need to reach out because he's the greatest. Another thing you were, you were talking about that intro scene, you know, the song is called the journey and watching it this time around, I was like, oh, there's a lot of, uh, shortcuts that they're doing here. Like, I guess I always thought this was an animated scene, but it's really just, you know, paintings that they, they slide through, you know, and they, they change. It's kind of like a slide throw, <laughs> kind of like a slideshow mm-hmm. that they just kind of like, here's the still of this, here's the bottle. And here's the still of this and the bottle's over here and, oh, it's getting crazy in the waves. And here's the bottle (laughs) being thrown into the air. And I never realized this about this song. (laughs) I was reading this. Apparently this song, The Journey, is the only song up until this point that sung like from the eyes or the lens of an inanimate character. So the song is Ah. literally like about (laughs) about the bottle. (laughs) 
And I'm like, okay, like, I guess when you put it that way, <laughs> like the first Disney song sung by an inanimate character, but not really sung by an in- inanimate character, but about an inanimate character. I'm like, wow, that's really, that's really getting deep in the, you know, best or the first of its time, you know, adding oh, the all these trip, different yeah, qualifiers to it. <laughs> It's like when I went to China, I think we were in Hong Kong and we went to go visit this big uh, Buddha statue. And they're like, it's the only, how do they, how do they list this? The, the biggest sitting Buddha. Oh, it was like the biggest sitting bronze Buddha. Like all these like little oh, qualifiers so that they qualifiers. had to like add to it. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah if we, like keep throwing all of these things on, like, of course you can be like the only one of your kind, but yeah, same thing with this. Um, and I just thought that was interesting. I was like, okay, like this helps me really get a feel of where we're going. Uh, it is called the journey, <laughs> but just the animation style. I'm like, this could have been animated if there were time, if there were money, but, um, clearly it was not. So we get this two, three minute scene of just like, here's your still shots enjoy it and then you know there <laughs> as they arrives in new york we can see some very like cheaper animation techniques where the boat it like literally is just like a boat that's been cut out or is like on like clear cellophane and they're just pushing <laughs> it from like left to right or right to left whatever it is like ah, oh, this is the 70s this is walt disney animation in the 70s great <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness I mean, even with all that, the story was enough. I mean, wasn't this from a book? Yeah. Most of the plot points were very well filled out, which I appreciated. Yeah. I love that we see Penny at the very beginning and she's already, you know, trapped, if you will, or as my children say, fapped. And, you know, she's, she's really a fighter. Um, We see that she's calling for help. She's eventually we see that she's tried multiple escapes and we see her at the very beginning. She throws that bottle out and... Um, you know, she's already a captive, which I think is interesting. So it sets off the plot and you understand very quickly, uh, the struggle for her. It's sad. Like you don't even have to have any like relationship with this character to know she's under duress. I mean, and you can tell that this is not a place where she wants to be, or is even a legit home because she's just in this abandoned riverboat, you know, in the bayou. It's just literally yeah. in the middle. And I'm like, how do you get power there? That's my question. But yeah, she's a really great character and it sets off the plot quickly. Um, so we can move into meeting our characters who are going to rescue her, you know, t- properly titled the rescuers, um, with the rescue aid society. I love the rescue aid society song. Me too. It's so <laughs> catchy. <laughs> R-E-S-C-U-E, Rescue Aid Society, heads held high, touch the sky, touch the sky, you mean everything to me. I love it. Uh, it like, it goes on, obviously, uh-huh. uh, but it's, it's so, it's so stinking catchy. Yes, it is. <laughs> I still sing that song whenever I have to type the word re- or write the word rescue or rescuer. R E S C U E. It's great. Yeah, and we get this set up, you know, it's in the UN and, you know, all of the delegates from the different countries. That makes sense. There's a lot of rotoscoping going on with the human characters again, budget cuts. But then each <laughs> of the delegates has a mice version. Uh, of the delegate, which, you know, pops out of a suitcase or like appears and they have their own underground mice world, which if you were a human, how could you not see all these mice just running around the floor of the UN? It's kind of horrifying to think, but Hey, they're busy. They got stuff to do. They got, uh, they got policy to change. (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't, it does not uh, give a great impression of what's happening at the UN in the fact that (laughs) the janitorial system is not up to par right Um, but also i had a a, i have a bit of a a conspiracy theory for you Mm. let's just see so how do the mice correspond with the human delegates do the mice go ahead and they correspond with the person and they just like okay you've become the delegate now you must like catch a ride on this guy's suitcase to go home so you're always on time with this guy so you just gotta like hook yourself to his house so you just now have an infestation because you are now a UN delegate. Or 
Is it that the mice are chosen first and there's some type of a, another system where the mice are the actual, the, the ones pulling the strings? Yeah, they really do want you to believe that the mice rule the world here, but I yeah. am more apt to believe that the humans control the schedule and the mice kind of piggyback off whatever, you know, the human schedule is, you know, if, if the delegate from Australia has a meeting, you know, the delegate from Australia for the rescue aid society also will be there for a meeting. Um, I think we're looking a little bit too much into this because the UN has a different purpose <laughs> than the rescue aid society. The rescue aid society is simply there to rescue mostly, I guess, children or those that are in need. It's just really funny that they're the ones that rescue humans. They're not trying to rescue their own kind in both of the movies. It's a human child yeah. is in need. And we go, we are the ones to rescue the child because no one else can do this. The humans can't do this. We have the connection of all the animals and, you know, we have the, we're the brains of the operation. So we're going to take this, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, in the book, it wasn't called the Rescue Aid Society. It was called the Prisoner's Aid Society. Uh, and basically oh. it was an international organization dedicated to brightening the lives of prisoners. And so the mice would go into <laughs> the jail cells or the prison cells and uh, just like befriend you, give you, you know, someone to talk to. <laughs> Not as oh, exciting gosh. of a plot, I guess. I was actually trying to get a hold of this book so I could read it before, you know, recording, but it didn't end up happening. But yeah, it's a very popular children's book. This film is based on two of the novels, The The Rescuers, which is, you know, the same name. And then also Miss Bianca was the follow-up a few years later. Uh. Walt Disney was involved in the initial uh, version of this, you know, because around 1962, that's when they got the rights of it. And so he was involved in, you know, initial planning, but, and he wanted it to revolve around the actual book, which is about a poet that is held captive by a totalitarian government in kind of a Serbian-like stronghold. So okay. that uh, was cut and they decided like, we're just, we're just going to make it less political. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then, you know, went through a variety of things. It, so another thing about the Rescue Aid Society is like they're all here. They're singing their song. Um, they have like the mouse scouts, which are equivalent of like Boy Scouts that come in and bring in the bottle. And <laughs> I just thought it was really funny about the different delegates. They're representing all of these different countries. You know, we have Vienna, which is a city. And then we have Austria, which is a country. And then we have just a big old blanket of Africa. Did you notice that there's just... Yeah. Like I rep I represent Africa. I'm like, okay, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> We're not consistent here at all, but that, I, I guess you, you take what you can get. Maybe there was only one person, one mouse in Africa of any of the countries who wanted to represent. And so she came, but I love her and I love her design. She has this amazing fro and, you know, it's really cool to see each of the characters kind of representing different parts of their culture that they initially come from, you know, like the Irish delegate and uh, Miss Bianca, I obviously stills the show as soon as she walks in uh, bernard oh, is her. just like yeah slack jawed and all of the men are like whoa <laughs> <laughs> but she just struts in there like during the song and like automatically takes over the show and just like has this little swagger that she does and doesn't like it's just unconscious how mm -hmm. wonderful she is i just love yeah Bianca. You know, and they, they immediately get her chair for her so she can sit down. Like she's, she is one of those women who knows how to turn on the charm to basically yeah. get whatever she wants, but she's not yeah. conceited in any way. No. Like she really is a great character. She's really down to earth. She's humble, but she's very strong willed and um, passionate about what she believes in and isn't going to let anything, you know, stop her from doing that. You know, they kind of try to talk her out of the mission when she volunteers, um, but she She's really does naively fearless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And it's just really funny that she gets put with Bernard, who is very superstitious, timid, uh, not confident with himself. And it, it just, she's so cute because she, you can tell that she's not necessarily a respecter of persons. You know, she doesn't uh -huh. necessarily, she has all these different delegates that are raising their hand. They want to be her partner, but she sees something in Bernard and chooses him. You know, it doesn't matter that he's not necessarily a member. He's just the janitor. That doesn't matter to her. She sees him for who he is and he does a great thing. And he's, they're able, they make quite a team, which is great. I do like Bernard. They don't play in the second one as much as the first one, his superstition. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably a good call. Like, but yeah, through the whole thing, everything is about 13 and like, he's very superstitious. Right. This whole thing. There's uh, 13 steps on this ladder. 
<laughs> like, we'll just oh, jump over it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Skip the last one. That was another thing about Miss Bianca is her voice, Eva Gabor. Oh, mm-hmm. that Hungarian accent is so dreamy. It makes me go weak at the knees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's just so classy. I love it. I can listen to her speak all day long. Like, sign me up for that accent. I just want to hear you talk. It's just great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just an interesting premise. It's like, okay, the mouse, we're here to save the day. And that, shows to sh- that goes to show that, hey, like mice, uh, they're confident, they're fearless. They're going to do what they got to do. And, and really all they have is this bottle that with this letter that's, you know, has water stains in it. It's hard to read certain things, but they're able to go to Morningside. And I like Morningside. I think it's interesting because we do are, we're able to get a little bit of her backstory, at least Penny's backstory, what happened to her, how sad she is. I mean, let's just talk about orphans. That is just the saddest thing in the world. And orphanages aren't, at least in the U.S., aren't much of a thing anymore. I'm sure there are some, but you know, it's more the foster system now where we're not just going to let you sit in a home with other sad children who don't have parents, but instead we're going to like put you with a family so you can live as normal of a life as you can. Great. I think that's a great thing. We just see this orphanage and we don't see any of the other children until the very end. And we see how, uh, I, I have to imagine that this was just the worst at orphanages when a family would come and they would basically it's like picking puppies. They would look around oh, at the gosh, different children yeah. and, you know, and they picked another girl and she's just so sad. And, you know, she is older and that's always been a thing with orphans is, you know, families typically want babies because they want to just raise them from the very beginning. And so the older you get, especially, you know, even nowadays it's hard uh, it gets harder And I've never raised uh, any foster children. So I don't, I don't speak to it from personal experience but yeah i can see even though she's the most adorable girl in the world you know she keeps getting passed over again and again and again this whole story is so heart-wrenching as a kid mm-hmm. i never really saw it as super heart-wrenching but obviously as i've gotten older and i i see i see this as it is and i'm just like oh my gosh this is just mm-hmm. so sad yeah i mean i remember watching this movie all the time and yeah, it, there were certain things that never really hit me as being like as bad as they do today. <laughs> just yeah. like, oh man, kids, we really are resilient, you know? <laughs> like, it's not that bad. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. They don't know the difference. Things about Penny, like she obviously, she has this teddy bear that she uh, doesn't have enough confidence to be able to tell you what she's feeling, but she does, she's more interpreting for the bear mm-hmm. because it's easier for her to, to take care of the bear because that's her taking care of herself in a way. Like there's a lot of deep things that, like that go along with this emotional trauma with how they've depicted her dealing with all of this. And like, that's really well done, but really so sad. And in the orphanage, we meet Rufus. I always loved Rufus. I thought he was just a great cat. He's just an old little cat who's there to, you know, basically catch mice. And he's very much concerned about his job and his well-being. As soon as he <laughs> sees these mice, he's like, I can't have you here. <laughs> They're going to kick me out. <laughs> and when I was reading something and it was saying, basically, you know, he speaks to the mice, which makes sense. You know, the animals speak to animals, but he also can speak to Penny. And they were saying that in theory, you know, these animals could talk to people if the, but the people have to be the ones to initiate. And so if the other children in the orphanage would have spoken to him about Penny or about their problems, um, he could have spoken to them, but since they didn't, he wasn't really ever huh. able to help. And I was like, oh, okay. That's a interesting one. <laughs> that is interesting. But you know, we, we wouldn't have a plot if, uh, you know, all the k- kids were just chatting up if Rufus he told and they, everyone. they could just call. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's interesting <laughs> because it, this is a little mystery sort of a film. And so we're getting these little breadcrumbs here and there, you know, they go and they discover they look at her belongings and it's just kind of a big box of stuff. But by interrogating Rufus, they're able to get a little bit more information about, you know, that woman uh, who was here and that leads them down ah. the path to, oh, and this is, I was texting but you. This she was would the... not go with any trashy people like that. Yes. I love that. Uh, like the sleazy, the sleazy pawn shop, the trashy woman. And I just loved it because it's just like, hey, it's just calling it as it is. You know, I feel like nowadays maybe they wouldn't be as use language like that. (laughs) Not that that's like bad in any way, but she is. She's trashy. It's a sleazy pawn shop for sure. (laughs) 
Well, uh, and it's like they have her wear that dress that is like, oh, girl, <laughs> it like oh. shows her back in like the worst way. And then it's like she's obviously has no support up front. And I'm just like, oh, oh yeah, let's talk about Madame Medusa, because, yeah, I love her design. I love that she has these <laughs> saggy boobs. <laughs> she's just like she maybe was beautiful at one point in time, you know, but yeah, age happens and people get older and sometimes people age gracefully. Other people, they don't. and They're still trying to hold on to it. And, you know, she's in her 40s and just the body is not the same as what it used to be, but she still acts as though she's hot stuff. So she has these saggy boobs and this like fiery red, crazy hair, basically no chin. If you've noticed, like she doesn't have like a prominent jawline, her chin kind of Uh in certain angles just disappears into nothing. A very interesting way that they were able to design her character and the way that she walks, she kind of, she doesn't stand up straight. I always just kind of Mm -hmm. imagine her like hunched over and like not walking the best for your spine health <laughs> right. and she's just tacky she's totally tacky and sleazy you know and she has this like fur coat that she slings around and and then she gets mad at the suitcase and she's trying to sit on it and get it to close and uh, got these high heels yeah so i absolutely love her character initially they were going to have this be kind of not necessarily a sequel to 101 dalmatians but to have cruella be the villain in this movie, which I thought would have been a cool, that would have been interesting uh, Easter egg, but just like a, uh, what's the term crossover. I thought it would be a cool crossover. Yeah. Uh, if she just, Hey, yeah. Like this is something else that happened and, and she just happens to be in this movie, but they were really, really against it. Some animators were really against it and didn't want that, but Milt call animated Medusa. And I think because, you know, the nine old men, this is one of the last films that a lot of them were involved with, you know, Milk Hall previously had done more stoic characters like Prince Philip. Uh, he had done, I think, believe Madame Mim and there, uh-huh. you can definitely see Madame Mim in Medusa in certain parts, but, um, yeah. he was just able to kind of go free with Medusa and her animation, like anytime that she's on screen, you're captivated like and i think the scene that stands out the most is where she's taking her makeup off and pulling the eyelashes off i feel like that is ingrained to into every child's memory because we were i was watching this with my children and the first thing that my son said when we were watching is like why is she taking her eyelashes off (laughs) because it's a really (laughs) cool scene that you don't see all the time you know and you she rips those eyelashes off and then she's just kind of bare Oh, it's so, so good. It just goes to show, I mean, you can be very talented and there's lots of talented animators, you know, that can get the job done, but true masters of the craft just take the performance of a character and the memorability, you know, the memorability of a character to a whole other level. And Medusa shines because of Milk Call's animation. And Geraldine Page, who was the voice actress, did a really, really great job. And apparently she did her takes in mostly one take. Like nearly all of her takes were first take done, which is insane. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I saw growing up, I saw Medusa as the villain. She was always the villain and you got that. But once again, this goes back to the, what has I was saying it before, like it didn't seem as bad as it does today. And I'm looking at this woman and she's just, she's kidnapped this girl because she is an orphan and puts her down in this hole, makes her work in these and like find this diamond for her, even though, and she's bringing up all these little ones and they're like, Oh, she doesn't want those little ones. And that's another thing I'm thinking, okay, if it were me, I would actually really want the little ones because those are less able to track. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's right, the Ms. big Pawn one Shop. that everybody notices. <laughs> right, like, yeah, those are a little bit more. Um, there's a bit more of a market for that versus a internationally renowned, renowned diamond that is the largest diamond in the world. Yeah, I'm just thinking, girlfriend, you're really not going through the details of how you're gonna like get away with this. I'm like. Money is money is money. And that seems to be her number one motivation. Well, I'm not sure. It, it, it's never clear that she wants it because it, it's just the most amazing diamond and she wants to own it. Or does she want it so she can sell it? I always assumed it was because she could sell it um, because she yeah. owns a pawn shop. You know, she's kind of a businesswoman. Uh, so you can kind of see like this is what she's into. You know, she tries to dress. It's She's not a classy lady who's trying to be a classy lady. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, in the way that she dresses and acts and she wants to be a part of that life. So I just kind of assumed like, yes, yeah, she wants money so she can truly be a part of higher society. Yeah, but that one would be so difficult to sell without anybody noticing. <laughs> 
Well, also, fast forward to the very, very end. They're like, oh, yeah, she got that diamond and they gave it to the Smithsonian. I'm like, heck no. That is yeah. Penny's diamond. That is government seizure. Why are they taking that from her? Like, oh, hey, cool. Thanks. Hey, no. As a consolation prize, you can get adopted. I'm like, heck no. <laughs> Instead of seizing that from her, That's- it is her property because she found it. It was pirate treasure, which I believe the way that it works, like if you find pirate treasure that doesn't belong to the state, that belongs to whoever finds it. And it depends on where it so is. So it's hers. Actually. So you need, okay, well, Chelsea clearly knows a little bit more about this than me, but nonetheless, <laughs> I think they should have purchased it from her. Sure. Purchase it, put it in yeah. the Smithsonian that way or sell it to a private dealer. So, she, and then fund her college fund and her life for here on out. She right. deserves well, it. I'll, I'll let you know how I know a little bit about this. So there's a guy named Mel Fisher who spent a good portion of 25 years or something like that off the coast of Key West, looking mm-hmm. for this Spanish treasure that had been lost. And seriously, every single day he would go out and that was one of his things. He's just like, nope, today's the day. Today's the day we're going to find it. And then one day he actually found it. Wow. But then because it was in a specific area that the American government tried to to say that, oh, because it was here, it belongs to us and therefore you can't have it. And it's just this huge thing. But look it up. It's it's a really cool story first off, like how he, his attitude about the whole thing, like every day getting up and saying today's the day and like actually getting to the point where nobody else believed him. He, they thought he was crazy. And then he finally found it. And then of course, you know, people come in and say, actually that's ours. You know, it's a little red, mm. the little red hen kind of repeating itself. Yes. But yeah, as far as laws go, it's very iffy when when governments say they want something, it takes a lot of money and lawyers to to say that they can't. So, moral of the story is if you find a bunch of treasures and pirate stuff, just sell it and go for the be ones. on your way. <laughs> Do not make a big deal go about it. Do not get in the papers because most likely it's going to be seized. Great. Exactly. All right. Well, okay. So basically you're saying Penny never stood a chance. That was never going to be her diamond. So, but what are the little diamonds? Come on. Uh, Okay. The story isn't about, the story isn't about the diamonds. (laughs) Well, it is about the diamond. She's the only one who knows where all these little ones are. So I feel like she should tell her parents, let's go back there. I can dig up these these little diamonds. Let's go back to Black Bayou. I know exactly where there's a little bucket. It's super easy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there are probably still a whole bunch on the boat, unless unless it was right. uh, Snoops that went back and decided to get them all. Which, mm-hmm. actually, that's the smarter way. Come on, Medusa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get distracted by the big shiny. You stick with the little things, and you'll make it big. <laughs> yep. Yep. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, they don't catch Medusa on her plane. They end up having to catch their own plane with Albatross Air. And I always thought this character, Orville, was really funny. He's just, you know, a great little character. We get more of Bernard with his superstition, you know, with the, the days the 13th and the 13th steps on the ladder. And we, at this point, we're really seeing the juxtaposition between the two characters. Miss Bianca very much is a go-getter. She's fearless. She's going to go do. And he's reluctantly doing. And, and there's lots of times where it's like he really doesn't want to be there. You can tell. And there's, he's put in situations (laughs) that make him nervous. And we'll talk about this in our next episode where we're reviewing a movie. We're reviewing the sequel right after this. He changes a lot in the sequel. So I'm not going to spoil it. Stay tuned for that episode uh, in 216. But he isn't quite uh, grown through some of these problems that he has with superstition and whatnot. And that's that's for the sequel. Orville is one of those characters that I liked him. He just like skips out of there really quick. And mm-hmm. I think that they they should have brought him back at least one more time. Like, how did they get out of there? <laughs> I guess they didn't really need yeah. him. Maybe they did. At that did. point, you I don't want know. to wrap did... it all up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, as far as houseboats go, an old steamboat ferry is pretty cool. I just couldn't oh, yeah. live on one without AC. And I know I'm bougie. I know. But <laughs> AC is kind of like my end all. Like, oh, if you don't have AC, I can't do it. Especially out on the bayou. Like, oh, that sounds Oof. miserable. Yeah. <gasps> like, in theory, this sounds fabulous. In practice, oh, so terrible. <laughs> right. Not to mention that it's infested by her alligators. Oh, Brutus, yeah. Nero, you're, you're too, too soft. soft. 
I love Penny when she's just kind of on her own and she's, she's, she meets the mice and then she's doing her impersonations of Medusa and she's kind of walking with her hips and you're too <laughs> soft. <laughs> oh, she's like so cute. Like I love her as a character. She's very, you know, positive in light of the circumstances and, you know, yeah. she tries to escape, you know, as, as soon as they do arrive. And it's it's suspenseful. It's exciting. You're wondering if she's going to be able to do it. This has happened multiple times before. And good for her. Like, I'd hope if I were in a situation like that, like, I would... It's just so hard. And I hope this never happens to anyone and any of us. But, you yeah. know, it makes you wonder, like, would I have uh, the courage to, like, fight for my life? Would I rather die than be in a situation that, you know, I'm being abused you know, and she hates going down that hole. It's just absolutely frightful. And another thing that I don't understand, like they, they take her down into the hole at like high tide, basically. I'm like, you need to do yeah. this 12 hours prior. I understand for the movie, <laughs> it makes a, a great movie when the water is rip roaring up and all of this, you know, she's getting swept away and there's just like the, the, the tide is coming in and the clock is ticking. But I'm like, this is not, and it, it's not actually this tide. It's kind of like this um, blowhole that's happening, but yeah. it seems like to only happen at certain times. So I'm like, why do you not time this better when it's like dormant? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those ones that's like constantly going like the one at Ensenada that like blows up every once in a while. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, these are the things that I think through. I'm like, you're not very smart, bad guys. You need more time <laughs> and you're not allowing yourself more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, okay. How do you think as far as like a henchman, how do you, how do you like snoops? He's good. He's <laughs> he's just so wormy. Um, and you can tell he's like <laughs> kind of a good guy, but he's not a good guy. He's really not a good guy. He basically is the stand-in for Horace and Jasper. He's like those two characters combined. Um, yes. And it's unsure whether he is like romantically involved with Medusa, you know, because it's one guy instead of two. Like you never really thought that Horace and Jasper were an item, either one of them right. with, with DeVille. But with him, it's like, are you the husband? Are you just like the business partner? She treats you so poorly, which I think is another reason that makes Medusa a great character. <laughs> she just treats everyone like trash, you know, like the trash that she yeah. is. She treats others. And yeah, uh, he, I think he's he's pretty good. You know what's interesting about uh, Snoops? Okay, so I just looked it up. He's the incompetent business partner. And actually, they wanted Snoops to have a bigger role, but the voice actor died. He died in 1974, which is crazy. This came out in 77. And so they had the majority of his, his lines already done, and they couldn't expand his role. And this is one thing that you will find with the Disney company at this time, is like if someone's, someone dies that's a voice actor... They opt not to replace them. Um, and so they didn't want to replace him and they didn't want to have someone like finish his lines. Um, and so his role is what it is. And I think that's fine. I think if he had a bigger role, it just would have maybe fought for, you know, attention over Medusa and what was happening. Like, I just thought everyone was kind of perfectly in their roles and what they did. You know, Brutus and Nero, we don't see them too much. They obviously are a threat when they need to be. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, they get taken care of, you know, as a way to escape. They have this big plan on how to uh, lock them in the elevator. Um, but yeah, I think everyone's pretty near perfect. And, you know, and going back to Medusa, she, one thing I, I read, you know, Medusa is this character from Greek mythology. And if you looked Medusa in the eyes, you would turn to stone. And if you notice, anytime that Penny looks at Medusa in the face, she's kind of like super still and just kind of like shocked. Like she doesn't move hmm. um, for a period of time, which is like, I think, a, an interesting allusion to, you know, the character's origins or at least, you know, the name. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Medusa's really conniving and... You know, there's times where she's really trying to sweet talk Penny, you know, where she's like getting ready for bed and taking off all of her makeup and trying to convince her. Uh, it's not necessarily working, but she, she thinks she has this charm. Oh, Penny, Penny. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. What well, was funny when I, when I first was today, when I was watching this, I just thought you really could just trade her out with Varela. And I felt like that was a, a good but thing is, like, she's so much worse. And I don't understand why Medusa doesn't get higher ranking in villains. Because oh, yeah. she's evil. Yes. 
like nobody really remembers this just because it's like normalizing child trafficking. I don't know. Like, but it's just weird because why don't we recognize how evil she is? Like, mm-hmm. so for example, let's go through some of the different Hades. Obviously, Lord of the Dead, you know, he, he's evil. Great. You've got Ursula. Yeah, she she does turn people into little worms and keeps them as her little slaves that she looks upon. So yeah, that's kind of bad. <laughs> I would say that's really bad too. Mm-hmm. So another thing in the bayou is we get the kind of these animal characters who help out and it kind of shows the interconnected world of the animals. You know, you don't necessarily have to be a mouse to be a part of the crew to be to help out. It seems like animals just in general, uh, well, you're either two things, right? You're you're bad and you you work with the humans and you do bad. Or if you're left uh-huh. on your own, you're just a really good, good person, person, whatever, uh, you know, just a good animal. And you, and typically they like to help the humans. Like they're going to do anything they can to, to help someone that typically is not very good to their species. Uh, but you know, there's that little, that little, I don't know, is she a rat? I don't know what she is. Her name's Ellie Mae. She's a musk. She's a muskrat. Okay, cool. Okay. There's a, a Southern animal we got here in the States, but she's a muskrat and she's just like rounding up all the neighbors and they're going to help save that little girl, Penny. I love the voice cast of all of these little rodents and creatures, <laughs> the mm-hmm. bayou critters. Yes. I think they're fabulous because like, it just reminds me of Robin Hood and I'm like, oh, I know all you voices. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. So Pat Buttram, he's Luke, the muskrat that likes to drink his homemade liqueur. <laughs> growing up i knew that he was drinking alcohol oh yeah <laughs> and you did too right like i i think yeah that doesn't go over kids heads right i don't think so no not us at least yeah i didn't under i, I always knew like okay he's drinking his home brew it's it's <laughs> homemade and it is packs a punch and i just think the way that they animate it is great just that it, it like it's this literal fire in the belly and the, it you know they're coughing smoke and they give it to uh bernard and he's like <coughs> and just coughing up a storm it's great so right. i kind of <laughs> like those little elements that they had there you know because making your own moonshine that is something that they do in the south <laughs> so they I like they incorporated <laughs> those elements there i like them i would be your friends i'm not sure if you would accept me as one of your own because i'm very different but i would I appreciate all of you. So yeah, <laughs> good, good folk. <laughs> and then there's even rude, which is quite the name. That's a name that has never been heard since basically. Um, yeah, but he's the little dragonfly and I always loved and got a kick out of him, how he just, you know, p- gives his heart into everything, but he's, he's a sprinter, not a long distance run, you know, athlete. <laughs> right. and so he runs out of steam really quick. And I just always have this image of the, him breathing and as he's panting out of breath, like, <gasps> I can't even, I can't even do it, but we all know that sound. It's just like very distinct. And yeah. Yeah. Or even rude. And it's again, it's, it's great because it allows them like, they can't just, uh, it's like when you're in a video game and you find this item that's just like so overpowered and can get you everywhere you need to go. Um, you know, with him, he runs out of energy. So it forces them to find other ways to get stuff done. <laughs> Give him the brew. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> See, these like little gags keep coming back that make it fun. <laughs> They had some of the best gags. One of my other favorite gags was the spider shaking its fist as every as Evan Rue goes by and he like wraps himself up and he's like, ah, I love yeah. kid type thing. Yes. <laughs> Shake harder, boy. <laughs> I love it. Oh, they it had good. great gags. Like the, the artistic gags in this, I think, are one of those elements that are just so well done in animated films that you can't get as well in mm-hmm. a lot of using all my qualifiers because <laughs> it's like you can get these things but i right. just feel like it's so much easier to do in animation but it's just at a whole nother level with these uh, with the nine old men um because they were just so in that zone and i so appreciated that and even even nowadays uh you'll see a lot of a lot of animators put those little you know gags in there that just add to the whole scene in general and i really appreciate those mm-hmm Bianca, once again, is just fabulous as she's going down. Like she is, as I said before, it's like the naive, it's naive, but it's not unwarranted, her courage. Like there's a lot of things that she just feels like, you know, we (laughs) we're flying on Orville going down these great roller coaster rides. Oh, it's so wonderful. You fly beautifully. (laughs) But she also is just like, oh, we need to do this. This is what we need to do. And just is very determined and and doesn't let situations get in the way of what she sh- what she thinks should be done 
and mm-hmm. just finds a way to do it. I just really appreciate her, but also just everything about her animation and her style and her voice. Just Bianca is fabulous. Yes. Perfection. I think that she's definitely a forgotten Disney female lead, like top, mm-hmm. you know, women, you know, princesses, you know, people always are categorizing the princesses, but just like anyone who's like a female, not necessarily princess, princess, she would be top of the list. She's just so great in so many ways. I agree. But it also doesn't take anything away from Bernard, I'd say, because they're both just different and neither one is, is particularly saying that they are right. It's just more of like getting out of their comfort zones or getting out of their normal moments and being able to work together. I just, I like seeing that as well. All in all, I think we should rate this. (laughs) Let's do it. So I really like the adventure part of this. I really like the character building and how they built up all of the elements of the rescue like, for example, oh, how are we going to do this? Well, they find all these elements that are there and it's, you know, feasible within the world that they've already built. You know, they already showed that they have all of these fireworks, you know, send up the flares. So it's okay. They have those already. You know, And the rescue, while eccentric, is believable within the frame. And I thought that that was well done. And all in all, it just the whole story made sense. Characters were endearing. I'm going back and forth between a three and a half and a four star. Mm-hmm. I would like to give this a four star. It is a little slower. And so I'm not sure if I can give it up to that level, but I think I'm just going to go with it and just say yes, four star. Okay. So watching this, this was a real delight. I think this is one of those movies that in your head, you know, it's slow and it might prevent you from watching it. I feel like that's always with me with this movie. It's like, oh, the rescuers. It just, in my mind, it's like, ah, it's slower. It's not as good or whatever in my mind. But then once I sit down and watch it, I'm like, oh, this is so fun. This is great. I love the characters. I love the Rescue Aid Society. Really, every main character is very, very well done. Like I said, Medusa is fantastic. Snoops, Penny, Bernard, Bianca, all of them are fantastic. And I love these characters. And it's just really surprising to me. It's not surprising to me that we ended up getting a sequel from this. And this is the first of the Disney canon to get a sequel. Um, this was just, we weren't there during this time, but it was just such a hit when it was released that it was kind of a mm-hmm. no brainer that they ended up doing that. But the songs were good. You know, they're not your typical, you know, characters singing the songs, but they add this, this subtle element, you know, they're very seventies mm-hmm. in their way. Um, apparently Karen Carpenter was initially asked to, to do her. the songs for this film and she really wanted to do it because she was a huge Disney fan, but they were unable to do it. And man, if you would have put Karen Carpenter in this, that would have like taken this like 70s oh, vibe God. into a whole other level, right? <laughs> it would. But I just, as I was watching it, you know, even though I've watched this tons and tons of times before, I just thought it was fun. It was enjoyable. It The pace is pretty good. You know, it knows where it needs to go. It kind of is this like mystery element as they're trying to discover Penny and figure out her backstory and then um, trying to to escape. The Devil's Eye, I think, is just a really cool plot device that helps ground it and keep it, you know, this is the reason why she's been kidnapped and, like, we got to find it or we can never escape sort of thing. And so um, the tension in that moment is is exciting as the water is coming up. And I, we didn't even talk about this, but the Devil's Eye being stuck in the skull, I always loved that growing up. I thought that was a great visual and just, like, a just a clever way to to hide it and have them use their ingenuity and, like, them being small little mice, they're able to discover this thing that everyone has been looking for. It wouldn't have been without the help of the mice that they would have found the devil's eye. Um, and it just wraps up very nicely. I'm really happy to see Penny as she is adopted and, you know, the rescue aid society, they, they go on and there's another case to be found. So like you, I'm going to rate this four stars. I think it's just really solid. Not the most amazing thing in the world, but very, very solid film. Okay. So two random notes before we wrap this up. So have you heard about the nudity scandal? No. No. Okay. So apparently in the second release to home video, somewhere during post-production, someone put an image of a topless woman and you can see her breasts and her nipples. Um, and she's in the window of one of the New York city, you you know, buildings as Bianca and Bernard are flying through the city. Kind of like, I think it's from what I'm looking at the still right now, and I'll include a link to it in the show notes, but it appears that it was uh, when they're doing the the takeoff, you know, cause, uh, Bernard is like holding onto his seat, like freaking out. Um, but it's just like in super fast scene. You can barely see it. It appears twice because they reuse a lot of animation and scenes in this film. Oh, gosh. Um, and so they had to recall 
Uh, it's so small in the background. You can barely see it here. I'll put it on the show notes for you real fast. Um, because you know, Chelsea wants to see a topless woman today, <laughs> <laughs> but they ended up having to recall about 3.4 million is clean, but the links that we link to may not be. <laughs> I, okay. Well, Hey, if they want to see it, I'm not here to, I'm not here to censor. It's not bad. I mean, you can see it. It's like, we're all adults here. At least if, if you're not, please ask your parents. <laughs> They had to recall about 3.4 million uh, VHS tapes um, due to this, which is pretty crazy. So this wasn't something that was like, oh, they were being artsy in the initial release. This was the second release of the film where someone was just being uh, a dope and decided to put that in there. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) People, people, come on. Get your head out of the gutter. Some of them are so clever. And there was never going to be. That's the thing is like... There's always these people, even back in the day, that would freeze frame stuff where it's like, even though it's so fast, it's just like, blink and you miss it. Someone didn't blink and they did not miss it. And they let Disney know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, there you go. Our next episode is going to be a really fun nerdy couch discussion. We are ranking the different Disney hunks, heroes, and princes, and it's a collaboration podcast with our friends at Banter. I hardly know her. Wes and Perry, they join us to help us rank these guys because we actually were on their podcast where we ranked the Disney princesses, and that was so fun. We'll include a link to that episode in the show notes because seriously, this is one that that episode that we did with them is just we had this ranking system where we had three different criteria that we ranked them on and there there was a big giant spreadsheet involved it was such a blast and so we are recreating that we're doing that for the guys and i cannot wait for you guys to hear that so if you haven't already be sure to subscribe because we're coming back at you next week ranking all the hotties all right until next time we we are are the the rotoscopers Before we get started, I want to read a five-star review. This is the easiest... Okay, sorry, I'm getting too close to the mic. So this one is from Mace... Nope. This one is from Celebration... So the first thing that I want to say when I saw this as it was starting is the music is very... uh, It it sticks in my mind. Are we doing the main discussion, all this stuff first? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I just... My thing wasn't pulled in the right spot. Go for it. Okay. You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening.